pray with me, please? Lord, we ask humbly that you would fill our hearts with your truth, or that we would know that we are your treasured possession, and you would stand for nothing to be in the way of a relationship with us. I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You may be seated. eight o'clock service, I did something that no preacher should ever do. I forgot my Bible. <laughs> I got it this time. I want to begin by uh, setting a picture in your mind. I'd like for you to picture two boats. These boats are pulled up on shore, nets strewn about, fish overflowing out of them flopping around everywhere. There's a crowd that is amazed at what they see. It's a catch like no one has ever seen before. Now picture three men with nothing in their hands, clearly fishermen having been on the water, sweating from the work of hauling in these nets which almost sank their boats. These three men with nothing in their hands walking away from that catch with their back turned to it, following a stranger. Now you're probably asking, where did that come from? That was not in our readings today. <laughs> and you're right, it's not in our readings today, but it sets for us a picture in which we can understand and work through the gospel lesson from Luke in chapter 9. So the picture that's in your mind is a story from Luke chapter 5. It's the calling of Peter and James and John. And some of you might know the story of the crowd um, pressing in on Jesus from all sides. And so Jesus goes up to these fishermen who have had uh, a, a frustratingly um, disappointing day on the water of not catching a single thing. And he goes up to these fishermen and he says, may I borrow a boat? And so Simon Peter hops in and his crew hops in and Jesus gets a little space from the crowd so we can address them all. And while he's in the boat, he says, oh, by the way, why don't you go ahead and lower your nets? And they haul in this catch that takes two boats to take in and almost sinks them both. And so we see uh, in the calling of Peter and James and John this picture. Because the scripture says, as the story goes, that once they got to land, Peter and James and John dropped everything that they had to follow Jesus. Their livelihood. The catch of their life. They walked away from all of it to follow this, this stranger. Now, as we read this story in Luke, we hear about the cost of following Jesus. And we read about the cost of what that means personally. And so I want to set this picture in front of us so that we can um, work with it. Because what we see in this picture is two things. And they seem contradictory at first. But hopefully, by the end of the sermon, we'll, we'll understand a little bit more about how they don't actually contradict each other at all. The first thing that we see is that the gospel, that following Jesus, friends, it will cost us everything. And yet in this picture we also see that the gospel will cost us absolutely nothing. So let's take a look. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 9. I know there is the bulletin insert as well if you want to read along. 
I'm going to be focusing on the second half of our gospel reading in Luke. I struggled for a couple days to come up with the message that brings both of these, these two accounts together. The Lord didn't have it for me. We'll have to save that one for another time. <laughs> so for now, we'll just focus on the second half, beginning at verse 57. Now, the first thing to notice is how Luke has arranged this text. These are three different incidents that happen along the road as Jesus is walking, as his disciples are following him. Luke doesn't give us names, and he doesn't tell us the response. He doesn't tell us what these individuals do after, after Jesus rebukes them to some extent. So the focus isn't necessarily on these individuals or on how they respond. The focus seems to be on the cost what it is that they share in common, what they bring to Jesus, and what his response is. And what they share is an uneasiness, an uneasiness about the cost of following Jesus. So we pick up in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Luke doesn't give us a ton of context just yet. That sounds like a quality disciple, right? That's what you want to hear from those who are going to follow you. But Jesus, he has this ability to see within our hearts. And so we see in Jesus' response that he must perceive something in this person that is unsettling to him. Jesus responds, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It appears that Jesus saw in this person an attachment the comforts of home. Maybe this person had the zeal to follow the Lord, but maybe he didn't know it himself. He had a love for the comforts of home. And so we see the first thing, the cost of following Jesus. We see that it costs us our home. Jesus says that he is a stranger in a foreign land. He is behind enemy lines. He says, if you were to follow him, there's going to be a tension in your life that you can't resolve. A tension that says you don't belong here anymore. That you belong somewhere else. But you're here for a time. And so the first cost is our very home. Following Jesus costs us more than just that comfort, though. As we read on, we see that it costs us our autonomy as well. Verse 59 reads, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now there's a lack of detail in this story. We don't know exactly how to interpret what this person means when he says, let me go and bury my father. There are a couple options and they all lead to the same path, the same result. The first option is that he's speaking uh, in a way idiomatically. He, he's saying, Lord, I have responsibilities. Let me go bury my father. Let me take care of what I need to deal with. Then, Lord, I promise, then, then I will follow you. The second way that we could read this, this idea of let me go and bury my father, maybe, maybe there is an actual father, and maybe this father is alive. And so this person is saying, Lord, I'm a good son. I'm responsible, and I love my parents. Lord, let me wait out my days until it is my time. Let me honor my father until he dies. Let me bury my father. And then, Lord, then I promise, then I will come. We see both of these interpretations end in the same 
place. This man is putting a priority higher than the calling of Jesus. Now the obvious read, maybe the way that you read it first, the way that I read it first, is that this man has a father who has already died. That doesn't necessarily make the most sense that he would be out and about following Jesus, hearing what was going on when he had um, a, a father who has already died, but maybe that's the case. But in this moment, right now, he's with Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. And he says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Again, we see the same. A priority is placed on something other than Jesus' call on this person's life. Jesus responds in verse 60. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, there's a little bit of confusion with the brevity. There's a little bit of wordplay with the dead and bury the dead, but I would charge you that the second sentence is actually where the punch lays. That's actually where um, Jesus makes his point. Because what Jesus is saying, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, he's saying, you're in the business of life if you're following me. Don't go and proclaim death when you have the chance in my name to go and proclaim life. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. That's not your job. Your job is to bring life to a world that knows death. If you're going to go, go with the words of life. And so we see in these verses that following Jesus has cost us our home and it costs us our agenda, our priorities, our, our autonomy, our ability to decide for ourselves what is priority and what is not. And then we see in verses 61 and 62 that it costs us our desires as well. Jesus says, or excuse me, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, no one who sets his heart on the kingdom of God and then wavers is worthy of that kingdom. I don't know about you. At this point, these three little incidences begin to weigh kind of heavy on me. I begin to think, wait a second. I have a hard time deciding what's for breakfast. <laughs> How am I to be unwavering in my pursuit of the Lord day in and day out? Am I really fit for the kingdom of God if these are the requirements? If this is the cost? And this is where the truth of the gospel comes home. This is where it throws our reasoning on its head. Right? Because what the gospel says is though the cost is high for us, that the cost for God is even higher. Friends, Jesus left his home. He left his home for you and for me, for Peter and for James and for John. He gave it up so that we might know him. Jesus gave up his autonomy. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane that he prays, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Friends, Jesus gave up his own desires. When he let the enemy bind him, when he let the enemy put him on a cross, 
Friends, the, the gospel and the cost for God is much, much higher than the cost for us. Because Jesus did all that, because it cost him so much, we can say, contradictory, contradictorily, <laughs> we can say that the gospel might cost us everything, but in reality, it costs us nothing. It costs us nothing. Because what we would consider valuable before we know the gospel is rendered worthless by the gospel. That's important. I'm going to say it again. What we would consider valuable before we know the truth of the gospel is completely worthless in light of the true value of the gospel itself. What Jesus did for us is profound, and it makes us want to leave everything that we knew before to follow him. Following Christ, friends, it's not, it's not like reporting for jail. Some of you maybe have in your interactions with Christians or as Christians have been depicted, you, you have this sense that to follow Christ means you've got to show up and hand over all your personal possessions and all the things that bring you joy, all the things that you like, and you've got to be willing to set all those aside for the long suffering of a life that follows Christ. But we see in Peter and James and John in their story of how they walked away from the boats that they walked away willingly. There was no compulsion. There was only desire in their hearts to follow the one who gave their life value. And the call of Christ, friends, is one of sobering clarity. And if you are here today and this is news to you, if you don't know what it means to follow Christ, to, to have known him in your heart, to have a relationship with him, let me present to you the two choices that the gospel lays out before you. The first choice is that you could continue laboring on your own, that you could continue day in and, and day out, hoping that you get it right more often than not, and hoping that that would be enough. Or the second choice is to scrap it all, as Peter and James and John did, to follow the one who stopped at absolutely nothing to show up on your doorstep and to let you know that you are more loved and cared for and valued by him than by anyone or anything else. Now, if you understand what it means to walk with the Lord and to know him and to be in a relationship with him, I have another application for us as I conclude. Maybe it's because of how we were raised. Maybe it's because of where we're from. Maybe it's because without intentionality and without discipline, a fire which burns red hot can fade into a smolder. Maybe it's for any number of little things, little lies that the enemy tells us in moments when we feel weak or, or afraid or lonely or distracted or complacent. For any number of reasons, sometimes our zeal for the truth of the gospel of Jesus can fade over time. Or at least we can feel that it has faded. Now friends, when this happens, we can begin to think that the gospel is something else to put on our list of priorities. And we can begin to operate in such a way that we say, if we can put it high enough, if we can give it just enough attention, well, then maybe we can slip in the back door of heaven. What we forget is what this passage 
boldly claims. Friends, the call of Christ doesn't demand a high place on your list of priorities. It demands that you leave that list behind. It's because you were called out of this world that we don't see comfort in it. It's because we are members of the kingdom, because we have been claimed by the king, that we go out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. It's because we were made for good works that we desire nothing more but than to do them. Friends, it's my prayer that today would be the day that the fire in you is renewed. That this church might be set on fire, that we might be filled with the Spirit and go forward in this community with the overflowing love of the grace found in the gospel of Christ. Because it's in him that we find our true value. It's in him that we find life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.